everybody and welcome to episode 149, wow that came around quickly, of G.I. Joburg. My name is Steve and I'm joined by Paul from Joburg, freezing his butt off. Kujo on the west coast, it's not bad, the sun is still shining. <laughs> and China's hot as hell as always, it's that, you know, clammy ball sweat kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> But today the sun was shining, so it wasn't just um, humid, it was uh, sun-scorched as well. It's it's pretty extreme, man. China's got some, some very high temperatures, uh, which I can get into uh, if you want to talk China, but does anyone else have anything they want to lead with? Actually, I'm okay with a, a nice China uh, framing, if you want to go there, yeah, we yeah. can kind of ease in. Well, I saw for the first time in my life a robot in a shopping mall. I went into a department store yes. and was approached by a robot trying to sell me something on special. <laughs> wow, I, I so, totally thought you meant a traffic light because of us being South Africans and we refer to traffic lights as robots. No, no, Especially this was... Especially those of us with Afrikaans descent. <laughs> <laughs> this was, yes, a fun fact for all our international listeners. In South Africa, when you say the word robot, you're probably being referred to a traffic light. If you hear the word ro robot being used in in conversation, mm. I think it had something to do with the fact that a film featuring a robot with blinking lights at all. Maybe it was Forbidden Planet with uh, Robbie the robot. Was it Robbie? Was it Lost in Space? Anyway, some old school sci-fi with a robot was in South African theaters the same year traffic lights were introduced to the country. So people went around <laughs> calling these blinking. You know, red, amber, and green lighted things, robots. And it's stuck to this day. You still refer to them as robots. But uh, enough about South African culture and uh, nuance. Um, guys, when I was in China about 10 years ago, everyone used mopeds for transportation. Nowadays, everyone uses electric scooters. So while China might fall foul of uh, emission control laws around the world, they certainly are being quite progressive in that regard. Like, I haven't seen a single gas-operated um, moped. It's all electric, and in fact, a lot of the cabs here are electric-powered as well. I didn't catch yeah. the name, but there's, there's a specific brand of, of car that is local to the place, indigenous to the place, I should say. Um, and it yeah. it's beautiful. I mean, you... you You'll never hear these cars approaching. They are so silent. <laughs> it reminds me of let a me, line from ask... Weeds. Um, from, the, from the TV series Weeds, uh, the main character gets herself a Prius and she's driving up to one of the drug dealers and she like wants to tune him some stuff. And uh, he's like, Tune him some stuff one. is a South African uh, slang for um, to have an argument, to criticize. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm tuning you, bro. I was hoping you would do that, dude. <laughs> well, we are totally aping uh, Talking Joe with Chief and Chris now, because they do a segment on British colloquialisms. So, oh, goody. Okay. <laughs> this is an education for you, Cooch. At least we are See, now... Stephen, let me ask you a question about that real quick, before we Whoa. move on. And what we don't Paul? have to labor Paul it. saying things. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm still saying things. All right, all right. Um, Anyway, so like the the gangster sort of turns around and goes, whoa, he's gotta get, i got to get myself one of those Priuses. I can sneak up on... On Mofo is like real easy. They won't hear me coming up for drive-bys, and I always thought that was like quite cute because I was like, I don't know how they sound, and now you've just mentioned 
how quiet these taxis are. <laughs> and I just thought of that drive-by scene. That's it? That's the punchline? <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, it I, got I think... better, but then Kujo started talking, and then it derailed me. I'm sorry, sorry. Kujo. <laughs> it's alright. My bad. Um, no, actually, I think they... I think they played that joke in The Office, too. I think uh, somebody ran down Dwight or something. No, I was going to say that that movie is the is the Forbidden Planet. I have watched that recently. The hmm. sexual politics in that movie do not play in this era, but it is – the effects are not bad. Um, uh, so I was going to ask. You mentioned about the economic means of transportation. Is the counterpoint like the super wealthy? Are they rolling in uh, like SUVs and kind of escorts? Dude, the super wealthy are in <laughs> Lamborghinis. I shit you not. A bubblegum, like, colored Lambo. It was g gorgeous and, like, garish Lambo. at the same time. Uh, Lamborghini. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, like, I don't know what this says about me, but I'm very pro-pink Lamborghinis. If, if you meant uh, bubblegum pink. I, I assume you didn't mean, no, like, a bubblegum No, no, it was, like, uh, teal. Though while China's leading the charge, perhaps in just the, the the amount of electric powered vehicles on the roads, I am alarmed at, and I'm not going to grind this axe too long because I know it's it's kind of divisive. But the amount of of single use plastics, astonishing. Here's a new one that you guys might not be familiar with. I mean, it is the most incredible single use plastics, like. You don't need to buy Tupperware separately anymore. Like, you are basically given at fast food joints microwavable containers that have, like, multiple sections to them. Because, you know, you're buying fried rice that sits at the bottom and then all your veggies are in the top compartment. And then, you know, you bring it home and you can mix it all up. And there's an egg cracked over the top. And, like, you know, all these compartments oh, are amazing. so so worked out. And the, the plastic quality is so um, good. It's terrifying uh that all this stuff is being obviously turfed out on a, on a daily basis but the most alarming one of all i mean plastic straws be damned when you go to a say a kfc where you're eating and handling um fried chicken or even just an annie's bakery what's this auntie annie's i don't know the pretzel place anytime you're actually handling food with your own fingers as opposed to chopsticks or a spoon you get a little package that contains plastic gloves oh my word yeah yeah so you don't have to wash your hands before eating and you don't have to scrub the grease off afterwards you just put on these plastic gloves and you're good to go peel them off and you have clean hands nice in theory but my god man the amount of plastic we're just pumping out from these single serving i mean that is the epitome of a single serving you cannot then reuse those bad boys Ever. That is shocking. Hey, dude, that's the world we live in, man. Let, let me step to that just for one second. I know that Steve has caught some some heat uh, off and on for mentioning things like plastic. Uh, the only thing I would say to that is that the great thing about G.I. Joburg is not everybody in this room sees the same world, but we're all kicking ass together. I'm going to leave it there. I, I, I do believe that we got to change, obviously. And I think what I'm hearing... The byproduct of that society is they've maybe bought into kind of a surf culture. Um, I'm going to leave it there, you know? Well, the kind of plastic we concern ourselves with, uh, <laughs> well, we don't want it to smooth, break down. Smooth. <laughs>
Yeah. But sometimes it we does anyway. We want plastic to last forever. Sure. And at ever. least, at least and as long ever. as we live, man. So we can be buried yeah. in it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to end the talk Maybe. on on China, one more little tidbit. If you are a casual drinker like myself, I mean, I'm not a high roller buying the top shelf stuff, but just uh, picking up the odd tin of beer um, after work from a 7-Eleven, it is so cheap. Literally, like a 40 ounce for less than a dollar. Wow. And that's, well, I suppose in, in South African terms, no, 40 ounce is bigger than like a, a long tom. Uh, you know, a tall tin. Um, but does put it in perspective. Like, it is cheaper to drink beer than water. Hilariously. And the cheapest of the cheap, on the one hand, is Tsingtao, which is Chinese. Oh, Qingdao, and, the, yeah. and on the other hand, it's Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have a little East meets West uh, smash up most nights. You know, improving China and American relations, uh, one beer at a time. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we enjoyed some pabs when we were in um, in New Jersey, I believe. So yeah, that was great. Yeah, it's cheap and cheerful, and you know, it's got to be good. Otherwise, how would it have earned the blue ribbon? <laughs> it's, it's not the worst beer I've ever had. I'm not gonna lie. Right like, on, right on. Anyways, right gentlemen, on. hop, skip, and a jump. We've uh, got a bit of a topic. I very recently was gifted what I consider quite a significant um, selection of G.I. Joe toys, figurines, simply because I have reached a stage in my collection where, like, you really have to press me to, to come up with a list of things that I am actively pursuing. I'd say I'm not actively pursuing anything, and... If pressed, I will give a list of, of holes in my collection. And it suddenly made me very aware of how I prioritize things. Like, what is the final set of figures that I ever will crave in this world? And I think I might have already reached that limit. My first instinct, if anyone says, Hey, Steve, I'd like to, to send you some stuff. Uh, give me your hit list. My first instinct is to decline. For the simple reason that, like, I am extremely happy with my where my collection is at the moment. I, in fact, do feel sometimes that I have too much, and so I'm like, I'm I'm kind of happy where it is. I'm always grateful for contributions, whatever form they take. Don't get me wrong, but like, if someone says, you know, can I get you some stuff? My first instinct, as I say, is to decline. Say, I've got some mates. They they still have some holes to fill. Uh, why don't you get hold of them? But this gentleman was persistent, and as a result, I have, sitting with me in China, the most eclectic, but easily the coolest selection of G.I. Joe figures. And we're going to get into those a little bit later. Anyone who's seen the most recent G.I. Joe YouTube video clip featuring my lovely wife um, will already know which figures I'm talking about. Mm. But I know that Paul has a lot to say on this subject. Before we open the can on that gentleman i'd like to know from a guy in our company who i believe has also reached a stage in his toy collecting vistas where he's no longer actively searching for toys and that's you kujo when did you reach the point where you decided hmm I, I you know i love the plastic but 
I'm 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 okay with what I've got. I mean, I'm not I'm 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 not against picking up the odd figure here and there, but I think I've got all I need right now. Have you reached that point? Is that how you feel? Well, you guys are you guys are a bit of a contradiction. I mean, Stephen, you're very worldly for having the collection of toys. It shows shows a lot about the nuance of your character in a good way. Cheers. Um, I think with me, I've always had to travel pretty light in my life, so. Like, I always have two action figures in my backpack for kind of like if I can see something in framing that I like with an environment or something. That's the the, the ninja pics uh, from Twitter, if, if you follow that. Do you change your roster? Is it the same two figures? Well, it, at least right now. Are they two custom figures? <laughs> yeah, well, Jim Godfrey's figures are going to be featured in a different way, and I think he's going to enjoy that. Um, we'll get there. Cheers, brother. Um... No, I think that it's just that I do like to handle figures. I don't, that's one thing uh, I wish I had more out right now. Cause there's just, when I think about it, I want to, like, when I handle figures, I can take my mind to other places and solve problems and stuff like that. So I don't know. The answer to that question is when I, when it, my collecting right now is probably like comic books that people have signed that I had good conversations with, that kind of thing. But I do have my favorite figures, as you know. When would you say you stopped actively collecting figures? I mean, was there a, a, a moment? Can you can you isolate a moment in time when you were like, hmm, shift my focus? Mm. I mean, it was a long time ago. All um, right. Really? We're talking like childhood here. No, I think uh, I've always had a tight roster. Like, yeah, I always have like, I think I have most iterations of Firefly, so <laughs> that kind of thing. I do have uh, a bunch of Steel Brigades I, and Boba Fetts. There's a lot of Boba Fetts sitting around. You sent me a Boba Fett once. They just, I just kind of have them randomly in coffee cups, and there's one in the windowsill. I'm looking at it right now. They're just kind of conspicuously placed, that kind of thing. That's a lot like um, Dan Larson from Toy Galaxy, although I think he's got like 400 of things. <laughs> <laughs> God bless, yeah. And the one final interrogation that I have for you, Cujo, is like, I know I am first and foremost a G.I. Joe fan. You know, Cobra were always the opposition. They were never the protagonists. The only times I ever personified Cobra and used them as my protagonists was when there was a third party that they were in turn uh, fighting, destroying, attacking, kidnapping, which G.I. Joe would then have to respond to. So I'd play out the early sequences, kind of giving Cobra the lead, but just a kind of a, a nominal lead, which would then ultimately be overturned by me taking up my guys, typically Shockwave. But was it always Cobra for you? Even as a child, was it like Firefly, Boba Fett, these are the guys I idolize, these are the guys I want to play with. Everything else is just cannon fodder for them. Well, let me ask you a mini question first. When you were using Shockwave, did that gun, would you like come around corners and spray rooms or did you see it as more a precise weapon? You know, it's funny how a toy can connect you to a geographical location. For instance, there's a specific part of Main Road in my hometown, which will always remind me of Shipwreck. And there's another stretch of that same road, which will always remind me, for some reason, of DJ. I guess it's because my childhood friend and I were playing with DJ on the back seat of his mom's car as we drove past this particular 
part of Main Road, which conspicuously has an archery, um, archery, whatever, shooting range. I don't know. Place where you shoot arrows. <laughs> um, anyways. Pointy shooters. But the reason I mention that is I will always remember the municipal dump on Ladies Mile Drive, um, which is also a, a road in Cape Town, when you talk to me about Shockwave's weapons. Because I'm convinced <laughs> that they are all lost in that municipal dump. So, to answer your question, no, I did not spray that weapon, not once. I lost it pretty early on in the game, but not before snapping off both the stock and the barrel. So, just gives you an idea of how played to death Shockwave and all his accessories were. Yeah, he would have to uh, run around real corners and spray people with his own weapon. What I did, because he's dual wielding, <laughs> you know, he's got a... <laughs> You're disgusting, that's why I'm not even going to <laughs> deign to uh, respond to that. What I did do with Shockwave was because he dual wields pistols on his, you know, his thigh holsters, he always had quick draw pistols. So quick, in fact, I didn't even bother to arm him. They were always in those holsters, and, <laughs> you know, at the quickest sign of trouble, he'd whip them out, shoot whoever he needed to shoot, and then they were back in the holsters. Like, I had no. <laughs> <laughs> so I had never any need to arm him. He had his backpack. Fortunately, that stayed with me. Um, and eventually I gave him a knife from an Astro Viper from Star Brigade, one of the tree weapons, which happened to be in a lurid orange, but I painted it black. Um, but yeah, he never needed a gun, gun, gun. He always had his imaginary, whatever's, SOCOMs. Barettas, whatever those were. I don't think it was like uh, straight Cobra or Joe. I think I gravitated towards characters that had like hidden faces. You know, I could kind of think for them. You know, that kind of thing. Understandably. Yeah, it was probably it was probably Firefly. It was probably Eels for a powerful long time. Because if you put like two forty fives in Eels' hands. That's a sick fucking loadout. Sorry about the language. You like the masked characters because uh, no face sculpt ever approached the gorgeousness of the face that greeted you in the mirror. Not so cool. <laughs> I, maybe I just didn't want to look in the mirror, maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's enough out of me uh, in the early going. Paul, you've been up to a lot of craziness on the page. Uh, what's, what's your thought on such things? I grew up with a lot of faceless Joes um, in my collection. Um, to be fair, I mean, my first job was sci-fi, and then um, I sort of gravitated towards uh, snake eyes and the ninjas and stuff, so I never really, I had very few characters that had like their full face, you know, that you could really get behind, and I don't know why as a kid that that would put me off buying a toy, because I think it did a lot of the time, I, I know that one of the things I sort of always went for when I was a kid was like uh, toys that had removable helmets, etc. Um, I mean, Let's put it this way. I owned Lightfoot as a kid. Um, so, I mean, Lightfoot obviously beat somebody else with no helmet. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, that was kind of my thing. But growing up, I think I was more of a Cobra because I always sort of – I had a lot more Cobra figures in my collection growing up. So, I had, uh, you know, Night Creepers. I had Frag Vipers or Frag Viper. Night, I mean, Night Creeper. You know, Singular, the Eel, um, number two, that kind of stuff. So, I always had, like, a lot of the, the bad guy – 
you know, the bad guy figures. And, and I've always had like a bit of a weird thing in my life. So every time my mom or my parents would surprise me with a toy or with an action figure as a kid growing up, I would always get the bad guys. Like I got that really awesome, um, battle, uh, what is it? Battle dragon, uh, Skeletor one day. Cause I was like talking about He-Man. So my mom obviously thought, Oh cool. I'm going to get him a He-Man figure. And then she got me Skeletor. <laughs> um, uh, and like, uh, like with Brave Star, I got the bad guys from that and the bartender. Um, you know, so like I've always like had bad guys, bad guy action figures in my life. So I've always been like, okay, cool. Well, I like the baddies. And, and when I used to watch cartoons, I used to always like hope for that one episode where the bad guys would actually win. It'd be like, Cobra gets it, or the Decepticons managed to beat the Autobots, or I was always looking forward to that episode. So you're meaning to tell me that like it's really Robin Me versus you and Cooge? <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, man, it was rare to have kids that vied for the bad guys back when I was growing up. It seemed like we were all playing a co-op game, and the bad guys were essentially that, bad guys, pop-up targets. That's pretty oh, cool, so actually. Yeah. I think if you grow up in certain conditions, the anti-hero is pretty readily accessible for, from early on. Paul, do you envision a moment in your collection where there'll be that last handful of figures? And who might those be? You have said it on record before that you want all of the classic G.I. Joe figurines. And mm. that's, that's quite an undertaking, man. I, I wouldn't say there are terribly many notable I mean they're all worthy because let's face it like everyone has their favorites I'm sure there mm. is someone who loves Ozone version 3 <laughs> you know <laughs> like that's the, the figure that they had as a child and they adore it but you know you start really the pickings really get slim in some instances and that's why I kind of have capped it where I have because I don't want to be making excuses like Oh, I've got to get it because then I'm I've got the whole of Star Brigade second year. <laughs> yeah, I I hear you. So, okay, so like I uh, I'm kind of odd in this regard and I've I've noticed this uh, quite a bit with my collection, even with my modern era collection in a weird way and um also sometimes even with Gundam stuff and just with everything I've collected. Um when I feel that there is like a scarcity, like when I feel like a toy line is very difficult to get hold of. Um, so, for example, certain lines of Transformers that came out in South Africa, like when we had the alternators in South Africa, for example, I kind of made like uh, quite a beeline for like all of them. I kind of like made a plan in my head. I was like, okay, cool. I want to get them all because I actually like, like them all, but I really didn't like Optimus and things like that. So they kind of like fell by the wayside for me. So that was kind of like a, oh, it's scarce. So I must get my hands on it now. And the thing with the, with G.I. Joe, with the modern era stuff, uh, I also felt that, you know, they, and I'm sure we all felt that, or those of you guys listening to the show who were in the thick of it on the trenches when, uh, like, Pursuit of Cobra and whatever were hitting Toys R Us and came, uh, Walmart and all that stuff and hitting online and all that, you know, we were all, like, clamoring to get these things because, of course, you know, the online toy stores were all making pre-orders for the stuff. So we were, like, you know, some of us... <clears throat> We're buying uh, full waves in, in cases, in case lots, because we know we had the money to do so back then. Um, so there was like an urgency because I didn't want to lose out on getting my hands on these toys because I was, A, I really like them a lot. 
Um, they pretty much hit the nail on the head every time for the way that they did them, uh, did the figures up, and I was excited about them, you know, with the exception of one or two uh, toys that uh, in some occasions I could actually ask for them to remove them from my lots. Um, like that one Destro, the, the Destro with the squirt gun, um, stuff like that, which I just wasn't interested in back then. But there are some 25th anniversary toys, uh, 25th anniversary figures from the line that, like, their articulation's not that, that great, but they're characters that haven't been reproduced in other lines, and they're sort of more, represent more representative of their vintage offerings, and I've tried to, like, pursue those and get them when I can, and I've always, I, I even now have the mindset of like, oh, cool, if I, you know, if I make it to Joe Fest next year, um, I'll keep an eye open for them, like I did with JoeCon, you know, I kept an eye open for one or two modern era figures that, you know, like, I want, but are sort of like nice to haves, but not have to haves, but with my vintage collection, this is where it gets like crazy, this is, this is where I'm sort of quite organized with the whole thing. So, um, in every year, there is... I, every, I mean, I want to, I want to complete every wave from every year up till '93, '94, and I want to exclude, and I want to exclude '82 because I don't have a lot of interest in the straight arm Joes, um, because they're not great to play with. They are known to be quite brittle, at least Mike, from what I've, from what I understand, they're quite brittle, and they also are quite expensive um, for some of the more sort of choice figures in the line. Uh, so every wave kind of has a, a, a Joe or two or four that I'm like, wow, I really want those. Um, and then a lot of the, uh, and then a lot of that wave might have like, there might be three or four Joes that I'm like, hmm, bazooka. Do I really I think want? We should bazooka? limit him to five picks, Stephen. <laughs> okay, Good so luck. I'm yeah, so I'm not gonna go through like all of the stuff that I'm like trying to get because it's it is it's a long list. But, I mean, I have saved certain toys for last because, yeah, you know, the thing is with the stuff is it's going to get exp more expensive over time anyway. I mean, we can expect that. Um, and I've just sort of, like, gotten to this point where I'm like, well, I can't seem to find a Night Viper or I can't seem to find this toy or that toy. And I'm just like, well, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. If it finds my way and I have the opportunity, I'm going to grab it, you know. But there are some things that I'm going to take it in favor of. So, for example, if I had the opportunity to get a Night Viper and I had the same opportunity to get Bazooka and they were theoretically the same price and I only could buy one, I would buy a Night Viper because I want Night Viper more in my collection right now because I feel Bazooka is something I'll just find along the way. The obvious problem here comes in that I'm pretty sure that the last G.I. Joe toy I buy will A be my least desirable Joe ever, and I can't think of who that is right now, probably like Wild Boar or something, okay, and B, it'll probably end up being the most expensive Joe that I end up buying, because the amount of time it's going to take me to get to that point is insane, um, but yeah, I'm just chugging along, just focusing on my waves, and every time I like I finish a year, or I get close to finishing a year, I get excited, and then all of a sudden, that one toy that's needed that one G.I. Joe that's needed to complete that year, that becomes the priority, you know, if that makes any sense to anybody. So, you know, unless, of course, you know, our local sort of bid or buy guy decides to go and get in, like, well, a really nice Well, get juicy, toy. dude. Start dropping names. Um, so I would really love to get a full set of the Mega Marines, okay? I don't know why I never picked them up before. I think it's a case of, like, and I'm sure, like, 
Steve, I'm sure you can sort of your collector side of you that was more in on the trenches or in the trenches can maybe relate to this. But I sort of pushed them aside um, to try and get what I deem as more rare um, Joes because I feel like the Mega Marines, for example, they're 90s toys. They're the Mega Marines. They're almost like the Battle Force 2000 of their era. Nobody really wants them. So as much as I like them, um, I'd rather prioritize something like a Baroness over them or a Cobra Commander, a hooded Cobra Commander or something. Hey, hey. <laughs> um, or like, I don't know, a Night Viper or whatever, you know, to, to, you know, to, to make a point there. So I've kind of got a feeling that like there are just certain lines that I'm sort of leaving behind. So the Mega Marines is a line I really want, but I'm not like making a beeline for it, although I'm sort of am now, which is weird. Um, uh, the supersonic fighters, I'd really like to get Falcon and Dial Tone from that series now. I just have a hankering for those two toys. Uh, and it, like, it's totally random, but I just want to start getting them because they feel like, I feel like, oh, if I wait any longer, they're going to get more expensive or something. I don't know if I'm making any sense. This feels very nebulous. <laughs> you talk about figures that you're never going to get, so what's the point? But if you have one pick, since you guys are action figure storytellers, you write narrative for action figures, people are, uh, I mean, obviously, it's, who would you pick? If somebody gave you either Pimp Daddy Destro mm. or the Roddy Piper Club figure, like, which figure would you want to play with more? Honestly, uh, for me, Pimp Daddy Destro, dude. Like, full on. No offense to Ro uh, Roddy, Roddy Piper. Um, I'm just not a big WWE fan, so that that toy doesn't like have any appeal to me at all. But like Pimp Daddy Destro, when I saw it the first time, I was like, oh, I would really dig that in my collection. Even the modern era one is pretty cool. Like this, <laughs> I dig it. I actually like it. I know it's like it's an abomination in the eyes of many people, and it's like super collectible. Well, at least it was. I don't know what it is now, but I dig that toy. I think it's awesome. It's, it's almost like Tiger Force Outback in a weird way. No. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to go the other way, uh, simply because out of the coverage from Joe Fest, I'm totally cribbing this from, I think it was Full Force's coverage of the event, where the Sarge was quoted saying, yeah, we were supposed to have a grudge match between me and Roddy Piper, and then he died on me. <laughs> <laughs> So I think to answer your question, Cooge, uh, particularly with regards to creating a narrative, uh, even though Roddy Piper is no longer with us in human form, we could still act out that grudge match in plastic form. Oh, dude. Somebody send Steven that figure, please. Yeah, exactly. Please. Exactly. The ultimate test of of physical endurance, I don't know, just Ooh. mastery. A, a wrestling match between the Sarge and Roddy Piper. G.I. Joe versus Iron Grenadier. No, uh, I think uh, I, I go with Piper, too, because, Paul, you forget yourself, brother. They live. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. Trump card. Of course. <laughs> Gotta have that action figure, man. No, it does. It, listen, that kind of thing definitely adds uh, pathos to it. Like, you... Like, it definitely makes it a more desirable toy just for that. For the fact that he is in They Live. Like, I totally get that. Of course, if you had a Pimp Daddy Destro to hand, you could probably flip it and buy, you know, a dozen Roddy Pipers. <laughs> yeah, probably. 
and a house. <laughs> no, man. Like, I just think it's great. It's like, uh, because they did that modern era Destro that's all armored up, and he's got a suitcase full of cash. And like, I love that. Like, you know, that's like the missing accessory from the the Pimp Daddy Destro. It's just that he's got like a suitcase full of cash. Or like, I just feel like you know, it's like it's, the circle's complete. Like, I want. Like in my head, just to complete this picture, I want like Destro, like Pimp Daddy Destro, and then like an Iron Grenadier, like walking behind him with a whole bunch of cash, you know, or like, like a, a female Iron Grenadier and Joker you know, man. Iron Iron Bikini. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pimp you know, Daddy like something Destro. Like... True story. Yeah. Uh, in the ten years that have passed since I was last in China, it seems like the. Uh, English translations used for signage has improved dramatically. But every uh. once in every while, you stumble upon a stinker. And this one was on a piece of firefighting equipment. I shit you not, it said, engage the long-range pimp button. <laughs> oh, wow. What does that do? Does it, does it call you a pimp? <laughs> That's... You need one at range. <laughs> That's that's the that's a t-shirt right there, dude. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, like you used to get these extremely badly translated slogans all over, like cheap crap t-shirts that people wore back in you know whenever it was two thousand nine, but that's all but disappeared. It's, mm. it's it's far far less interesting just walking down the street now, observing people's strange slogan choices. Mm. Uh, uh, like there's a, there was a shop in uh, Cyril Dean in, uh, so Cyril Dean's a part of town it's uh, basically the Chinatown of Johannesburg if that makes any sense uh, but it's not quite as as established as Chinatown in America uh, as like Chinatown in New York or as Chinatown in San Francisco it's not as well developed but it is still very like and you know it's got the larger amount of Chinese population in the country etc Anyway, I just remember there used to be a restaurant there, and the it was the name of the owners. So it's like Fock, right? Seriously, I'm not even joking. It's Fock and You. So it's Fock You's Chinese restaurant. They knew what they were doing, buddy. They no, they probably totally knew what they were doing. But it's like, I just remember seeing that and being like, damn. <laughs> and David was like with me, and he's like. You know, you just say, Joe, uh, common surname, fuck, in Chinese. I'm like, thanks, Dave. <laughs> and then he uh, looked at the me. the Robert Redford meme. Yeah. And, uh, and, and David is, like, crazy because, you know, he's, you know, David's Chinese. And, he's, he, you know, he gets crazy and he loves these kind of, like, jokes. So he's like, fuck you, Paul. <laughs> Let's go and eat it. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm like, David, you're Chinese. You can't say stuff like that. It seems weirdly offensive to you. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I got one of those as well. Uh, I used to drive, well, be driven back when I was uh, attending school, uh, past a undertaker's business every morning. And the mm. names of the two founding members of this business were, I should you not, that, that, that wasn't their names, <laughs> um, Human and Pit. Oh, yeah, it was like Kwamein or something, yeah. That was in their stars <laughs> to be Undertakers. Human and Pit. That's yeah, crazy how stuff like We're... that works out sometimes. It's weird. Al Pine. <laughs> Albert Pine. <laughs> Should Albert talk some Pine. toys, boys. 
Okay, so like Stephen, hypothetically speaking, I mean, okay, so you you sort of like whatever comes your way. You're you're like the beach right now as far as toy collecting goes, or as far mm. as GI Joe goes. Whatever washes up on shore, you're like, yeah, it's awesome. Um, but like you're not actively pursuing anything. So what would you say was the last show then that got you excited, that got your heart racing? You were like, oh my god, oh my god, I'm gonna actually get my hands on this figure, like. Um, no. well, looking over the Joes that I have currently assembled before me, I'd have to say Jinx. Okay. Because she represents something quite unique. Because she <laughs> has the link to the Arashikage, but mm -hmm. she's all the while a G.I. Joe. I mean... Mm -hmm. Jinx as a character poses far more questions than I think we've ever received answers to. Mm. So I'm all about Jinx right now. And it doesn't hurt the fact that so is Kim. Thematic. Mm-hmm. Well, Jinx is a, like, like as you tasty. said now, she's a fantastic, like, character in that there is a lot of mystery behind her. And also, like, you know, she's one of the other, other Lady Joes. Um, sure. it's, it's a weird thing. But, like, you know, Joe has such a... Okay, so something about G.I. Joe that's always been a bit, not weird for me, but it's just like, when I was trying, when I first started getting into it, I was like, wow, there are so few female characters in Joe. But like, what Joe's female population lacks in terms of size, it makes up for in personality of the characters. So every one of those ladies has like, a re something about them that's really, really awesome. Except for G.I. Jane, of who I have absolutely no idea of anything of. And I've just seen her name once in, like, the Devil's Due collection uh, dossier book. But, like, Jinx is very, very cool. She's mysterious, you know, and you've got characters like Covergirl and stuff that are also great. So, yeah, so Jinx is getting you excited. Jinx is getting you all hot and stuff. Right well, now. I guess it's it, it comes back to the fact that, like, I'm looking at these shows that I recently received... Um, as like the figures that I never pursued. And now that mm -hmm. I have them in my possession, I'm so grateful for them because they, they do really shine and they do have purpose and they do have function. But as I say, I had never, I put it out of my mind. They'd never been toys that I was, you know, going to put in my sort of, I suppose, saved searches on eBay. And like, mm -hmm. you know, that's why they have eluded me up until the ripe old age that I currently am. Hmm. So from the top or from the bottom or from the most recent in the chronology, it's 1991's Dusty. Hmm. Do you have any memories of this figure, Paul? None at all. I've never had it. Cooge, how about well, you, man? I Dusty think it's and, the very Dusty top, and dude, Sandstorm. Right? Yes, yes, yes. He's got a very pale tan. I'd say he's a banana milkshake flavor. <laughs> in his sort of immediate coloring. Oh, this is pretty funny, isn't it? Um, yes. I, I can, this is he, we, he. This isn't even planned. Uh, that's the main. That's the main character <clears throat> in the black book. Is the what? dude in the tank top? Yep. Incredible. Yeah, wow, and dude. he he shows out, does he not, Paul? He does show up. He's he's pretty cool. Like it's quite smart. I mean, we've got version one and version two of Dusty in that book, technically. Hmm. Well, dude, if you have to throw fists, you're gonna you're gonna take that heavy shirt off, and that tank top's gonna be on underneath. 
It's very Jean-Claude Van Damme in Street Fighter. You know, very yeah. 90s chic. You want to show off your guns. Good and rock a beret. Well, it's kind of interesting, uh, Steve, now that you mentioned that Dusty. My sideshow Dusty comes from, I believe you picked it up in, I think it was Korea or Singapore. I can't remember. Singapore. It's one of the two. Singapore. So it's like, and the sideshow Dusty is both of those Dusties, technically, because it's got version one and version two. Um, because you can change that up for the beret and you can roll up his sleeves and whatever if you really want to. And you can make him sort of reminiscent of that. It's kind of cool that we both got a version, uh, both got a Dusty while we were in Asia. Not that I was in Asia, but we both got a Dusty while you were in Asia. <laughs> Sorry, that was weird. Anyway, I just, I, I just thought there's relevance there. There isn't. Carry on, as you were, gentlemen. Well, Kuja, I think I have you to blame for getting me started on coveting this figure in the first place, because you in this sort of hypothetical art battle, pits a Dusty up against Desert Scorpion. And that artwork really shone a light on this figure. You know, just like in times of old, where it was the art that was selling us the toy, not the mm. awkward plastic man rattling alongside in the bubble. With or with helmets. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, something about this figure, like, the version one dusty is venerable it is perfect how can you how can you begin to to top that or even update it give it a bit of gun stand i don't know <laughs> hold on, hold on. give it an animal companion i don't know like this figure is very 90s in his presentation having the guns on show is not so practical for desert warfare i'm trying to figure out where this guy would really shine and i guess when i read the the file card it says that he has a license to operate helicopters so maybe this is dusty after he's had you know a couple of hundred hours in the simulator and they've finally let him loose on the retaliator <laughs> steve do you think that's why we don't have a dusty version 3 because he died in a helicopter accident well, technically, this is Dusty version 3, because version 2 would be Tiger Force. You should know that, Paul. Ooh. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But, I mean, like, for me, like, in my brain, it's like, it's, it should be version 2, because it's visually different, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, more, yeah. more than just a... But, um, also, a quick question. Didn't Stargate, or did that figure come out before or after the movie Stargate? I'm pretty sure Stargate came out after 1991, so, yeah. Wasn't okay, Stargate yeah, no, like 94 did. or 5? Yes, yeah. no, it definitely did. No, because in a weird way, that Dusty figure also does sort of represent uh, Kurt Russell's uh, sort of character design in the, the Stargate movies. That's not bad. You know what? Snake Plissken had his guns on show, and like no one's messing with that as a as a as a cool look. <laughs> you know, very mm. very much of its time, but. So what, man? This is a kind of a... This is military meets fantasy, and sometimes the Joes can walk that line as well as Cobra. I don't yeah, want to jinx it, but I feel like we're pitching a perfect game right now because you just said Snake Plissken. I don't know how this podcast can get better, but please continue. <laughs> well, perhaps it can get better by delving into perhaps one of the lesser sung heroes of the G.I. Joe medic pool, and that's Stretcher. Yeah! May I just say that these figures came complete with their file cards, and that is a very nice little inclusion. That is, a, I mean, just the full package, the full experience of these toys is to have the figure 
accompanied by his file card or her file card <laughs> and to have Stretch's file card gives you a few details on like this guy's character I mean he is a bodybuilder and you start <laughs> seeing those elements in the sculpt I mean yes he's another burly black guy but he covers up you know roadblock heavy duty those guys have like their you know their pythons on patrol <laughs> the the guns are are out you know blaze of glory style but you check this guy's sculpts and his forearms are huge and textured like they have those like i don't know grooves the striations around the muscles and you check his the back of his neck you know this guy like must do powerlifting because he's got that like band of muscle that forms like when you're really straining your neck it's incredible man he's a meaty dude and he is like that that i wouldn't say it's a cliche but i think we can all see the character type in our head of like the big dude who is an ambulance Mm. driver or you know a medic a first responder he pumps iron he's huge he's strong but first and foremost he's out there to save lives and Stretcher, I would believe, carries, you know, as 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 in, is indicated by his sculpt, he's got a pistol sculpted on his chest. He does carry. He's not armed heavily, but he's got a pistol and he'll use it if he needs to. I just think the idea and that, he, like, his bodybuilding sort of, sorry, Cooch, his bodybuilding sort of physique uh, kind of makes him, like, really effective in the battlefield as well because he's, like, picking dudes up. You know, he's, like, strong enough to just pick a guy up and haul that, you know, that dude's ass out of the fire kind of thing, you know. And and um, I, I like that. Like, in my mind, like, I, I always wondered, like, why does he have the, the, the little sled, you know, because it's a rescue sled. And the thing is, I think the, the best thing I could think of was, oh, okay, so he keeps running and picking up guys off the battlefield and, you know, attending to them or doing, you know, like, the whole medical thing. That you know, GI the top brass and GI Joe was like, well, maybe we should give him like something to make his life easier instead of having to carry everybody around, you know, kind of vibe. Because that that's essentially what that thing is. It's supposed to be a stretcher. Is it meant to mount people? Yes, it is. It's supposed to. You're supposed to be able to like lie a person in there somehow. The instructions uh, don't. Have you ever tried? I have tried. It doesn't work. But like, if you sort of put them lengthways, it kind of works. It kind of it it does kind of work. Feels um, to me like there should have been. I mean, this is supposed to be just a single carded figure, not a deluxe figure with a vehicle. But like, mm. you'd need something at least the size of the chameleon swamp, swamp skier. You know, yeah. you'd need his sled to essentially have a piece that extends out out rear rearwards. Mm. Or the alternative, and it just came to me now, was a winch system. You know, just a, a hook mm. on the underside that you could then hook up something akin to dock stretcher. Mm-hmm. Like just something that you could undersling a, uh, you know, a, 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 an injured teammate. By that same token, I, I really think it's sad that like GI Joe never did a, a, a like sort of a medical vehicle. Like I'm sure that they felt that it was never going to sell. But Boring. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, dude. Like, I, I mean, I never thought much of the bridge layer until I actually saw one in person at JoeCon. Then I was like, okay. Oh, wow. I, um, but seriously, like... <laughs> but you haven't prioritized it yet, Paul. Lay down on my skateboard. How? 
I said lay down. Um, <laughs> now, anytime people talk about, like, ripped forearms, I always think about that one dude off the big hit. <laughs> <laughs> I said lay down. <laughs> I love that movie. That movie is so good, bad. I love Ridiculous. it. Ridiculous. 90s action movies, guys. It's It makes your Joe toys that much better. <laughs> Please continue, Stephen. Oh, man. Well, about the sled, I'll just say this much. Um, while its design must have gotten lost in translation, its design relating to its function it seems to have... There's a disconnect there. I will say that it certainly beats the... You know, the attempts at making the Sonic, supersonic fighters packs like vehicle packs. You know, there's a de design clarity and, and sharpness to a dedicated accessory piece like this <laughs> and like Jetpack Hawks Jetpack, which elevate them beyond something like Sonic, supersonic fighter major bloods backpack, jetpack pack. And no, the Zap. new ones. Yeah, yeah, the zap from that line's kind of, I don't know, gun tank. And so I've got a lot of of love for this piece uh, because I just see this guy being called out to situations. I mean, he's adequately prepped for it. He's got all his mm -hmm. medical gear on his backpack, but he's also got a radio, you know, with that big whip antenna. Um, so he's being called out to be the guy on the spot to, like, assist. You know, he's moving from location to location very rapidly, stabilizing guys, getting them patched up, moving them from place to place, and then repositioning himself. So he's... I said hop on. <laughs> <laughs> he's greatly equipped for his, his purpose, and I, I, I really enjoy, in my mind, the play pattern of, like, Stretcher needs to get to the front lines, but he needs an escort, and, like, Jetpack Hawk strapping on his pack and being like, no, he doesn't. I'm his escort. Either that or Stretcher just heard how um, Doc died and he's like, not today, Saw Viper, not today. He's got two foot pegs side by side, but their orientation makes him um, like board riding style as opposed to ski style. Do you know yeah. what I mean? He's Side saddle? Yeah. Well, no. Uh, like, like, how do you make your Stretcher ride, Paul? <laughs> I kind of got him like riding kind of like kind of like a push scooter style so like ski style kind of thing so I don't put both okay. of his feet on the foot picks because you can't really do it because then it looks like he's taking a big poo while he's trying to do the thing so I've got him well, at least that's how it looked when I was messing with it so I sort of have him like side saddling it a little bit so like the one foot picks in and that's how he rides it that's how I it works for me but the problem is is my sled is not the most um robust <laughs> Because I got mine, I didn't get quite a, a, as minty a sample as you did. Um, so my sled's a little bit broken. So I'm too scared to like, I'm a little bit hesitant about messing with it too much. But what I wanted to get in is like, I know that we spoke a, a bit earlier. And I know that you weren't like, like you were glad that you've got Stretcher in your collection. But it was like, you, you weren't sure what to make of him yet. So I'm glad to hear over the last few days you've definitely found some love for the toy because for me, he was pretty much invisible. I didn't even know he existed. And then I saw him in a catalog or something. I can't even remember correctly. And this was recently in the last uh, three years or so. And I've been trying to find him on eBay and I can never find him. Like um, he's very difficult to get complete on eBay because everybody, because of that sled um, attachment being so 
some assembly required. Guys are always trying to sell the parts separately. And then when they sell them together, they want something absurd like, you know, $50 or something stupid or $40. I've seen these prices. I don't, I hope that nobody bought it for the, those prices. But anyway, I, I remember seeing that and going, oh, wow, that's like a pain. Like I really wanted, but the price was such a barrier. So I, I ended up buying mine from a car boot at Jocon. I Excellent. saw him and I was like absolutely belated. And I mean, I got him for like $8 or something. So yeah. Or elated. <laughs> oh, sorry, elated. That's the word I meant to say. Not elated, I think. It's, it's very cute, yeah. Paul. But yeah, he was belated. I mean, you, as you say, you didn't know anything about him and uh, it finally dawned on you that stretcher is a thing. Stretcher is a thing. Moving into the late 80s, do you guys have any love for Track Viper? Not a lot. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's just one of those driver figures that's like... You know, if you got a his two, you kind of got a, you kind of got a. You know, the thing is, like with Track Viper, David liked that toy quite a lot, um, because he got it with the his. Hmm. Did he play him as a robot? Yes, he yeah. did. That's exactly what he played it as. And then when David wrote it into, he's got a bit of a droid head. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, very much so. And then when David actually put it into the fiction of the sort of customs, because that was like the death of our GI Joes. They would die in different paint colors. Which, I mean, is kind of cool in its own right. But, um, yeah, I mean, Track Viper ended up being some killer cyborg assassin from the future or some mad shit like that. And David played that character up big time. He loved that, you know, for being a robot. I mean, and... I probably would have done the same thing and would have yeah. elevated it because I don't conceivably see a human head occupying that helmet. It's kind of yeah. like Annihilators, you know. How How is a human's head in there? <laughs> annihilators i can believe because but there's sculpt detail missing you know what i mean like annihilators does actually make sense uh, if they if you could see a little bit of the chin protruding at the bottom like the motor vipers kind of have mm. then that would make a lot more sense for the annihilators but otherwise a human's head the whole of a human's head does not fit in the helmet of the annihilators <laughs> oh man i am such an idiot it has just dawned on me as of this recording, live in the flesh, where Track Viper's color palette comes from. The Annihilator? Track Viper's color palette. No, Paul. Oh, no, not, not the, not, uh, what did I say? Not the Annihilator, I meant the Domin- the, the, the that, that little tanky thing with the two missiles on the front tread. What's that thing called again? Cobra oh, d- um, yeah, the Battlefield Robot Devastator. Yeah. Um, Enough teasing. Uh, maybe. Um, Kuj, can you help us? You bring a bit of the old school perspective. Mm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, it could go with the Fang. I'm thinking of a a driver class of your hmm. the Stinger, the, the Stinger driver, Ooh. reds, blacks, and that light gray. Oh my goodness! Sneaky wow. B. There you go, guys. That is the armored equivalent of the stinger driver this mm-hmm. is cobra mechanized troop they just happen to rock the gray if i recall <laughs> i haven't held the figure in a long time i do think the head is too small he, to me he's maybe a poor man's stiletto viper or uh star viper, star viper. Yeah. yeah yeah okay. um i think if you kind of did a lamprey twist on that the head the head would fit right but that's a nice call on the stinger thing hmm as I say, just occurred to me now. 
The other 1989 action figure that I was gifted was Deep Six Version 2. Such a cool toy. One of JD's clear favorites, as I recall. I also have a lot of fondness for it, but that's my, that, the, my inner, my younger self liked that toy quite a lot. We, we were in the boss many times. Old Deep Six. (laughs) (laughs) He's one of the figures that I distinctly remember gifting to another child and not feeling terribly bad about it. I guess, I guess underwater toys didn't do it for me back then like they do it for me now. Um, I was far more interested in space as the sort of the realm that I would, you know, any helmeted character would immediately be a spaceman. But because I think this guy was so very aquatically couched, you know, with a powder blue and the file car, or the card art just being so very definitely an underwater dude. And the fact that you couldn't see his face through his rather garish helmet. Um, all of those factors made me not feel terrible when, as I say, it was gifted to another child. Um, but, oh man, I can't believe I'm saying this about another Deep Six figure, but he's just so much fun. He is, dude. He's cool. Like He's a he Deep Six have... that has articulation. Incredible. <laughs> and he's like, like, I always thought, like, as, even as a kid, I always thought that, like, this diving suit of his is, like, it's very old school. Like, I can't believe that, like, the military uses that today, you know, because... You know, every time I'd seen divers and stuff on TV, it was always scuba tanks and, you know, like a normal wetsuit with scuba True. tanks and a rebreather, etc. And um, and any time I saw a big bulky diving suit like that, it was in something like, you know, 20,000, well, what is it, 20,000 leagues under the sea? You know, that kind of, so that, that association was always there. But it turns out, no, the Navy was using those big high-pressure diving suits, sort of like around the 80s and stuff. I like, have that, to talk- that was, Yes, talk, speak, dammit. Oh, no, 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 no. I, sorry, I just didn't want to miss the window. No, I actually, in a weird tangent, I've been hooked on deep sea diving horror stories on YouTube recently. Uh, <laughs> My it's God. such, it's so horrifying, dude. Yeah. I mean, like, because, like, you can't escape, you know, you're you're in the darkest place ever. You can't see your hand. All of a sudden... You check your lights and your air bubbles illuminate a massive eye right in front of you. That, that shit doesn't leave you, you know? Anyway, mm. enough, enough said. Oh. That's the kind of play patterns you got with that figure. That's what I'm saying. Mm. The isolation. The fear. <laughs> I want to see that in your pool, brother. Dress that thing up. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> I was playing with him in the pool just today, in fact. It seems that even without the bellows... This Deep Six does possess a dive action of sorts. Because you can effectively trap an air bubble in his domed helmet, um, Mm. he will always orientate with his head to the surface, which is cool. And if you let a little bit of that air out by inverting him, letting a few bubbles out through his uh, crotch cavity... (laughs) You could say he farted. Well, you can control his descent. You can say he farted if you want, but you can control his descent. And would you, would you believe that the first time I did it, he had the perfect rate of descent? Like it's something that I've tried to get right with Deep Six version one a lot. Um, and Deep Six version one has the added benefit of weights in his feet. Um, so he, he will always land with his feet down. Deep Six V2, I got him to sink perfectly and come to rest at the bottom of the pool on his feet and remain there, even in slightly turbulent water. 
I wasn't able to repeat that, but boy, was I feeling proud as punch <laughs> to have him do the perfect dive descent. What is his included thing? Hey. Uh, that uh, that little thingy that that like little bulbous thing that comes with him. Yeah. I think it's. I actually think it's a snorkel. Like um, okay. like I mean, obviously the line they couldn't give you like you know a meter of you know rubber hose, but I yeah, think that's meant to sit at the top of mm. on the ocean surface, and then that's like yeah, that's the the breathing line like a snorkel. I didn't bring it with me, but I think it does float. I think it does actually. So maybe a string, if you were able to attach a string rather than the hose, mm. uh, it would be better suited. It's either a snorkel or some kind of communication device. Yeah, you know, like, di yeah, a direct, okay. yeah. Like a buoy. buoy. Yeah, a little radio <laughs> a buoy. buoy. A buoy. <laughs> buoy. <laughs> um, now, I, I think after this episode, I'm going to do some research and actually figure out what that thing is. Um, because now I'm Why curious. not during this episode? Ooh. Oh, seems Surprises. Uh, I, I want to listen to you guys. I don't want to like look on the internet <laughs> while I'm talking to my you know, friends. Other, other podcasts do that sort of research live. We, however, we're like, eh, whatever. We'll be wrong until we correct ourselves next time. <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, yeah, for everything else, we'll just wait for the internet to correct us. Hey, Paul, seems you uh, mm -hmm. scored a knockdown out of this, uh, this recent yeah. <laughs> Joe package. Are you excited about receiving Knockdown? Did you ever you know, think you'd be a recipient of such a prized figure? I, I knew I would have to maybe bite the bullet on Battle Force 2000 at some point. Um, but Knockdown, uh, in all honesty, Knockdown is not a Joe that is on my like hit list. It's it's probably one of those that I was really scared of paying a lot of money for and you know at the end of my collecting hit list. Um, <laughs> But the fact that I'm have, that I have him coming my way is super cool because to date I have been very fortunate in that all of my Battle Force figures have found their way to me as gifts or donations, <laughs> either from yourself. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, but I, I think it's I think it's really cool actually. It's like it's like the fans, uh, not our fans, our supporters want us to have Battle Force 2000. Um. <laughs> You know, so that we can they're totally see not trolling us. Totally not. Totally not trolling us. They just want us to admire what it is about them that they admire. You know, obviously Bart is trying to get us to see what makes them so special. You know, it makes me wish that I had said Tiger Force Outback was the shittest figure ever. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Maybe somebody <laughs> would have thought, No, I will prove him wrong. No, I'm kidding. But like it is cool to have it, um, to have that toy, and it, I I think at the moment I don't have a driver for my MCC, so I think Noctown's gonna be great as a driver for my MCC. Funny you should mention that, because I now have a driver for my MCC, <laughs> <laughs> Steamroller, and my oh my oh my, what a unique figure this turned out to be. I mean, it's unlike any other GI Joe, just in in the way. He's the way his look characterizes him. Okay, he's the dude with the open vest, six grenades adorning this leather jacket, um, his dog tags proudly displayed, an incredible physique, as Kim put it on the video. This guy's <laughs> really jacked. I mean, he's got an eight-pack showing, plus enormous pecs, plus 
you know, like this is the ridiculous thing with action figure sculpting because he seems to be flexing both his biceps and his triceps at the same time. And I mean, I don't have to be a bodybuilder to know that that's impossible. You know, you got to pick one or the other. <laughs> Nothing is impossible. Yeah. Um, no, if, if you're stateside, yeah. think Dan Marley. That's Dan Marley in an action figure, that shooting guard for the Suns from the 80s. Like, ladies loved him, dudes wanted to be him, that kind of thing. Did he rock a revolver, like, cross-draw, like, on his crotch? Not on the basketball court. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, just, like, have your piece right there, your piece above your piece. <laughs> it's, it's ballsy. <laughs> yeah, well, Tom Tom Savini rocked something like that in uh, from Dust Till Dawn. I don't know if you okay. remember that movie. Did you ever watch well, that movie? I know that you don't really like um, horror movies or action horror movies. No, but I I mean it definitely is something that came up in conversation about this figure before. He's hell of a unique, and it was also mentioned in conversation that like he's the Joe least. Joe looking. I mean, there's something almost dreadnoughtish about him. Mm. Like this burly truck driver dude with a tattoo on his arm and, you know, nothing particularly Joe or military about him apart from the fact that he's wearing, I don't know, khaki pants, cargo pants. But uh, he's quite possibly, in my mind, G.I. Joe's answer to Road Pig. Yeah, actually, I was going to say, like, he seems a Whoa. lot like uh, Kurt Russell's character from Big Trouble in Little China. It's okay. like, it's like you know, On he's not military. Yeah, it's like he's not military, but he's he can get the job done. And the bonus is that he's like a a really good truck driver. So like you know, it's the kind of thing that Joe would hire. You know, like Big Lob. <laughs> you know that kind of vibe. I can see a comic selling that like the MCC versus a cinder block hammer. <laughs> That'd be dope. You know, he should be riding high on, like, you know, some kind of massive vehicle. Okay, the MCC is massive, but, like, he doesn't get very well postured in it. Like, the cab on the MCC should be at the top and should be, you know, you should be seated upright, as opposed to being on the ground floor and in a reclined position. Cross-country treatment? He's just not going to look right in that seat. Like, if anything, he should be standing, almost like the captain of the ship, at the wheel, you know, or the, a train driver, like, pulling on the, the the horn, the cable. Like, the MCC, uh, this is something that HCC 788 mentioned in his review of the MCC. It's like, the cab is an afterthought. It seems mm. tacked on. Like, it mm. doesn't seem like, it seems like this was perhaps supposed to be a static base. But they made it into a vehicle because they were like, ah, what the hell? <laughs> I kind of like those random windows, though. They make for good action set pieces, you know, because, like, people can get trapped in there, that kind of thing. Maybe if the thing was three times the size that it is. But at its current scaling, you know, they're just day beds. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I, I think that's. Like it would be, would have been a very cool like sort of play feature on the MCC um, to go with what you were saying earlier as well, is if that, you know, when it turns into a base, if the driving portion also lifted up, you know, so then it becomes like a watchtower. 
essentially. I think the driving portion should be lifted up in... Indefinitely. Like, well, yeah. yeah, in its road mode or vehicle mode. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just don't get as much perspective from down there. And also, mm-hmm. yeah, no, the reclining... It's 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 an it's a silly aspect of an otherwise otherwise venerable <laughs> vehicle, I think. But uh, guys, I think we have uh, reached Jinx in our chronology. So I'm gonna say that she eluded me because I just didn't have much love for ninjas in my kind of adult collecting days. You know, my love for Snake Eyes really has dropped off massively. Since mm-hmm. I suppose becoming an adult and like, you know, I've always I'll always enjoy his his design, but I do think there are better designs out there. Burn him. Jinx isn't such a winning design in that you will not see her face. But uh, there's something very special about the petiteness of her design, and the the light was shone onto this figure because <laughs> I had a Jinx as a wedding cake topper at my wedding. It's pretty dope. I was Lieutenant pretty Falcon, sure. and Kimberly was Jinx. Ain't that the sweetest thing? So naturally, I have to have the figure. Naturally. Now that I do, I'm wondering what the hell I did without it. Yeah, exactly. My mind races as to like the possibilities that this figure, this character, can provide. It's insulting that she was only ever as good as, you know, Falcon's kind of love interest in the film. I mean, sure, she got to face off against Pythona. Pythona. She had her blind master stuff. But it seems yeah. like Jinx has always lived under the shadow of her man. And it was no more evident than in um, Retaliation, where she's kind of slaved to Snake Eyes' story. Mm. Has there ever been a moment where she's shone on her own? Uh, In the... Mm. Okay, so it's it's weird because uh, there are some... I think there's that Master and Apprentice uh, comic line that they did, which was quite good, actually. I, I enjoyed that. I think she gets a bit of uh, screen time in that. Um, and I know that they used her a bit for the, the sort of relaunch G.I. Joe special missions stuff. I think she was somewhere in that stuff. Uh, or special missions or front lines, one of the two. Uh, I rem- pardon me, I remember her being used, but they also sort of played off a romance between her and Budo, which I always thought was a bit like, yeah, wow, guys. So they both got swords. <laughs> Let's make them fall in love. Yeah. No, it, well, yeah, it was super safe. It was just, I yeah. start getting feeling a little bit awkward, and I know I've fallen into the trap with riding Blazing Sand, um, but I, it's it starts becoming a little bit of a played-out trope that all the female G.I. Joe characters have to have romantic relationships with someone in the roster. Mm. Hey, now. You're an all-star. Um, I don't know, guys. You know, like... I, I, you know, well, Kim, Kim's Kim's very much a feminist, and, and I guess I've, I've kind of been slightly conditioned by that by now. But, like, there are more to female soldiers than, like, the intrigues they have with other male soldiers. I mean, it's like... Your your most interesting plot thread should not be who you're banging on the team. Yeah. Well, I agree. <laughs> let me say this: that Jinx has. You don't need a man to value you. Jinx has had some good iterations. Uh, notably, our friend Strident uh, did a picture or drew a picture of her with a Tiger Force on um, for the uh, club, which was dope. But no, I think 
there's a couple ways to frame the Jinx thing from the movie, uh, her and Falcon. I've heard people had to say different angles on it. I've heard people say that what, after they watch that scene where he slaps her ass and she takes that, they're like, fire the whole team. And, like, I think the way I look at it, I think the G.I. Joe writers wrote uh, Unafraid. Like, they, they wrote a character that she's stuck within a male-driven machine. She knows she can't fight. If, if, if somebody slaps her ass and she goes, oh, you know, me too, you're done, her career's done. So she uh, goes, hold on, hold it on. It was so the she, 80s, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll let you so finish. She kind of, Sorry. No, so she... She plays the game. Is it a good game? No. But in context of the machine, she by the end of the story, she's more than just, you know, a love story. That's all I'm I, saying. Like, I, I applaud the writers for going, you know what? Pe- this is going to piss some people off at some point. But it shows an arc where somebody becomes empowered, I think. That's my take. Um, that's, what, that's what I'll take away. I, no, that's an interesting take. I always thought that Falcon slapping her ass kind of just made him seem like more of a douchebag. <clears throat> like that was a douchebag thing to do. Like like when you're watching the show and he does that, you're like, wow, you're a douchebag. And if you don't see that he's a douchebag, then you, well, then this is the first lesson you're getting in, in the fact that this is douchebaggery. You don't do that. You know well, what I mean? And the counterpoint so is character that she ends up grows. kissing him, right? Yeah. Okay, but I would I would say to that that some people that kill for a living, that they like a certain sort of abuse. I don't know. That's you know, I'll spin it however I want. But it's getting pretty racy. All right, all right, I'm done. Yeah, no, I, I'm not <laughs> the perfect game. <laughs> well, she does have a thing for blindfolds, dude. So uh, you're never too far from a kink. No, I think the thing is like, okay, to be fair, and I mean, this is what I'm gonna say here, like. Like, this can be quite generalized, so I do apologize. But the thing is, like, martial arts, as just as an art form, is also, in a lot of ways, a language. And that is also a very physical language. Um, and I know it sounds odd, but you, you, do learn, you do learn to speak to people, your classmates, the people you train with, your instructors, in a way that is sort of physical. You know, like, for example, my instructor will sort of stance in a certain way or point his sort of attention towards me. He won't even point or call me or anything. And I'll immediately know, get my hands up because he's going to demonstrate something or whatever. Or he's going to start demonstrating something and then he's going to stop and go, okay, guys, so what do you think of the situation? Whatever. And the thing is, like, in martial arts, we don't discriminate between men and women because, or we don't discriminate between gender because we believe that, you should be equally prepared. You're a human being. So Jinx, in a lot of ways, is used to physical contact as a way of, you know, she's used to physical contact. But that doesn't mean that she is necessarily approving of, like, unwanted physical contact like what Falcon did. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that she's cool with that. It's just that she's kind of used to that, but that is, like, different. That That's not like a pat on her shoulder or when guys just sort of jostle each other, you know, because that's not that kind of situation. This is like, a, it, it's a sexual advance. And the thing is, I I always felt that, and now my adult eyes looking at that movie, coming back to that, I've always said, like, I've always thought now, oh, wow, this movie is actually trying to teach young boys who are watching this not to be douchebags, you know, 
just not to do stuff like that. I also think just to just to get away from that a little bit as well. I think um, a character like Jinx is very cool when you play her as a mystery, not not a mystery like Snake Eyes, but you play her as somebody who likes to keep her life private. You know, she she gets on very well with the team. She's very sociable. She's great. She's got like friendships within the team. She's got people that she can confide in and whatever. And, and there are certain people that know that she has their back in more ways than one in the sense that like if they go on a mission that is potentially dangerous, they know that one bad luck lady is coming with them. But I think she I think she likes to stay private. And I think that's got a lot to do with her upbringing in the Arashikage. I think they they like to keep a certain amount of secrecy about their life because that is essentially what makes you more effective as a ninja. The less people know about you, the more effective you are at getting away, the more effective you are at getting closer to your target or whatever. So I think she's that kind of character, you know. I think she is a little bit cold in some... Oh, no, not cold. I just think that she does have a sort of social barrier. Like, once you get to a certain point with her personality-wise, she stops you there and she's like, okay, cool. I'm really happy to be your friend, but I'm not going to tell you about my childhood traumas or anything like that. That's that's, And, and I'd like to see that... I'd like to see an arc where Jinx's training is focused on. Or I'd like to see Jinx being used as a ninja. You know, that would be great. Not just the girl on the back of Budo's Harley or whatever the hell it is. Oh, gross. Right. Really? Yeah, Hi, really. Like, it's terrible. And like, I honestly, and like, and coming to another character, Cover Girl, I, uh, I just, sorry, just like, because we're talking about female characters now. Like, I loved Cover Girl's characterization um, it was in the Real American Hero sort of reboot now that IDW has been doing. I mean, this, we're talking about like, ooh, wow, seven years ago. They did some really cool stuff with her. Um, like, you know, she came across as quite tough and whatever. A little bit like too tough, like overly tough. Like what I mean is like they, they wrote her a little bit as like a female male character, if that makes sense in some ways. But for the most part, like she was quite badass. Like, and I also like the fact that she was like, she knows she's good looking. She knows, you know, because she was a model and all of that stuff, but she keeps sort of, not a distance, but she's here to be a soldier. That's what she wants to be in life. She doesn't see white picket fences and stuff in her future. She wants to be a soldier. That's what she feels like she was born to be. And I like I like that angle as well. So this woman who believes that, above all else, she's a warrior. And that's also very cool. That's also a very interesting take on that kind of character. It's not like, she's not like, oh, one day I'll get married and quit the army. She's kind of got this, I'm in the army for life. I'm Joe for life kind of thing. Steven, Sorry. at your discretion, I'll say this, and it's not tangential. It's it's on point. But I think that, like, I appreciate strong female characters, not necessarily violent ones. Like, the the way the feminine portrayed still matters to me in storytelling. Like, it doesn't make sense to me if there's no weight to... Uh, people's actions, that kind of thing. And I think that, like, at least in storytelling, yes, ladies do belong on the battlefield because men and women make better decisions when, you know, when they kind of are in a situation together. But I don't think, like, I don't like the trend of women being ultra-violent. That's all. Mm. Yeah, that was always the problem with Tomb Raider, actually. They made Lara Croft... Um, Kill bats. <laughs> yeah, but they they made her ram bit. You know what I mean? Like they that was that was the term that was used at the time. So I apologize if I'm offending anybody, but it's it's not my term. I'm just uh, just sort of uh, uh, you know 
just mentioning it. But that was the problem with the like a lot of perpetuating it. Yeah, a lot of guys like I I mean I know a lot of girls at the time. You know, there was a lot of women that loved Laura. They were like, oh, Laura is the best or whatever, and that's awesome because Laura was in a lot of ways kind of um, an ambassador, you know, for for women in games. But like at the same time, she wasn't really a woman. She was just basically a female skin of a, essentially a male character, if that makes any sense. I hate that personally. But but do you love Bazooka? Version no. Yes. 1985. Oh, Kujo, that's a yes from you. I didn't prioritize this figure ever, probably because I thought he looked like a knuckle. I do have a fresh appreciation for it. Oh, you do. And I and I yeah. Well, I can seamlessly do this. Uh, because I'm in the tweets. Uh, Brian Sherrier still killing it on the uh, campaign trail. Good stuff, brother. He just drew a uh, bazooka, and somebody was like, "The the Steve Grogan of of, of GI Joes." That'll if that finds somebody that means something too. Cheers. I I like bazooka's backpack. That evokes play for me. What say you? Um, I I must say the first time I beheld bazooka. I didn't think he was a G.I. Joe. I was like, this is a knockoff line. <laughs> it's probably because I was skewed towards late 80s G.I. Joe releases. And when I saw this particular mail-away order form, uh, advertised on it was Bazooka, Major Blood, the His Tank, and the LCV. I was like, these are fakes. I know they're fakes because like, I've seen that shell before. That's the septic tank. Why are they calling it a his tank? What's this <laughs> black color scheme? That ain't right. Of course, I was the idiot. Um, the his tank is gorgeous. But as for Bazooka and Major Blood's first versions, man, I don't know. I, I guess this is why he was one of these late G.I. Joe acquisitions. Because, like, his one function is to be an anti-armor specialist. But he comes with, and I've addressed this before, but like a woefully undersized rocket launcher. Mm. And I guess that speaks to its efficacy and it speaks to his file card, really, because, you know, it speaks about how he thought that it would be useless for him to be sitting inside a tank because any farmer with limited training could take him out with like a $200 RPG. So maybe this is a super sophisticated, really small launcher. And please let me know via some social media means of communication if you know exactly what this is based upon. You know, that it can be basically the length of your forearm and be effective enough to take out a, a battle tank. At least the way he's holding it in the picture, I'm under the impression that it's like a handheld mortar, almost like... Uh... Like those firecrackers that you shoot balls out of. I forget. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I like if some Joes are situational, you know, like I can see Bazooka with that bushy mustache. It's like a sleepy mountain town. All of a sudden parachutes, his tanks are coming out of the trees and people are just like, what the hell? He kicks in like a, I don't know, some army surplus store. They got like these little mortar grenades. And he's like, seriously. And he ends up like taking out like a couple of his tanks and saving like a bunch of people in his town. He becomes like a legend, you know. He's a joke. Right on, man. Now, that's pretty cool, man. That's a, it's a very refreshing take. I've, Red I've got a not, I've got a not so like loving take on on Bazooka. 
So, Bazooka was essentially the last Tiger Force figure I had to buy for my Tiger Force collection. And I bought it at Jocon. And, like, I remember it was, like, the last day. And I was scuttling through um, the different vendors to try and see if I could find find him. Because uh, that was, like, literally the only toy I needed. Um, and there he was, right next to a Crimson Guard. And I got to say, fellas, that was a very difficult decision that day because I was like, and this goes in very nicely with our topic because I was like, Bazooka was like, I know he's Tiger Force, but he was not my number one Tiger Force pick. And now I have to buy him and he's like $13 and there's Crimson Guard for like $20. And I could easily just buy the Crimson Guard, but I can't buy both. And then I would like, I bought the Bazooka because I was like, how cool is it? Let me get my last my last Tiger Force figure at Jocon and be like, and it's memorable, you know? And and it made for great fodder for a future podcast, which we are now on today. And, uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I, I honestly think that Bazooka should have somehow been pushed into the DEF at, because I think where Bazooka is the coolest, actually, in my eyes, is the really sweet, loving sort of police commissioner you know um that you know everybody loves him he's like such a great guy and he's just you, you know he's, he's very understanding and all that stuff but geez if you get into his precinct and you're looking for shit he just pulls out one of those little bazookas out of the drawer and boom <laughs> you know because <laughs> yeah, they fit so snugly <laughs> yeah exactly i but... think bazooka i mean represents the greatest disconnect between his media appearances and his file card I mean, his file yeah, card yeah. explicitly mentions this guy's such a cool head that he has EOD training up to tactical nuclear. He could be disarming and disposing of nuclear weapons. He is not a dunce. He's not a lunkhead. And, Cooch, while I absolutely adore your reasoning behind his football jersey attire... I don't think he's a casual home defense warrior. This guy is a Joe through and through, and he's got the training and expertise to match. He just happens to wear, you know, some snappy apparel. And as I say, I mean, he represents this huge disconnect between file card and media appearance. So therein lies an opportunity amongst any savvy writer to correct that. Hmm. And I'd like to think that if Bazooka was one of your favorite figures growing up, you corrected it yourself in your playtimes. Because, I don't know, does anyone like playing him as a dunderhead? Does anyone no. like playing a buffoon? I mean, if I had Roadpig in my hands, best believe, you know, he wasn't a moron. Mm. <laughs> he was dangerous. Yeah, that's the thing. You want to shift gears between homicidal maniac and um, sort of intelligent or well, highly intelligent psychopath. Hands yeah. around your neck, thou dost protest too much. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate your pronunciation of the word dust. Cheers, brother. Sticking with 85, what say you guys about the Tally Viper? Uh, so, can I quickly say one thing about Bazooka quickly before we switch over to <sighs> Tally Viper? Good heavens, Paul. Do you have any idea it's, how late it is? I'm so East? sorry. I'm so sorry, but it's worth saying. Despite 
Bazooka's shortcomings um, to most people in the fandom. I personally feel he's a very good-looking toy, though. I like yeah. his design. I think he's a very good-looking toy. I think great helmets. Yeah, I, I think the helmet's cool. The shirt looks great. The pants are cool. There's some great sculpting on him. I think overall he's a very high-quality toy. He's a very high-quality figure figurine. Um, it's just a pity that his characterization is off, and I think the Sunbow cartoon did a lot to hurt that because nobody wants to play him as a Dunderhead, like you said. My and God. I do love the fact that, you know, he's got all of these special eyes. It, it, let's put it this way. He's not the lowest on my list. I do want mm. to get him, but he's he's on my list mostly because I love, I love the Sunbow tune, and I want to try and get all of the Sunbow characters. Like, that's that's my, like, first goal, actually. Um, mm. yeah. So he, he's not that low on my list, but, like, it's still Bazooka. But anyway, moving on to the Teddy Viper. I bought a carded one. What? So... When I bought my Teddy Viper, what happened is um, it comes from a, a shipment that has been sitting... It was sitting in some warehouse in Cape Town or something for, like, years or Durban or whatever. And apparently the warehouse got flooded. And this guy's dad was one of the big guys for Prima Toys or whatever back in the days. And I think what happened is this guy managed to... Well, maybe he was one of the shareholders or something. So all of this damaged stock had to go somewhere. So he obviously must have brought it home. So... This guy's son, who is sort of in this chain of dealers that I had to deal with, who I've never officially met properly, uh, but I've seen his collection. He's got things like the whale and stuff like that boxed. Um, how? I don't know. Anyway, he's got a whole bunch of stuff. But if you look on our local sort of secondhand channels in South Africa, you'll find toys like Beachhead, you'll find Blocker, and you'll find the Tele Vipers are quite sort of present because this guy had a shit ton of them and he was like flogging them off to people so a buddy of mine contacted me and he's like hey i got some gi joe stuff some of it's in card would you like to have a look and there was some battle force 2000 stuff on card blocker and the one that looks like he has poo on him the white one the snowball whatever avalanche avalanche snowball poo um him yeah he had him and he had a few others <laughs> um oh and he had a tiger force psych out uh incidentally and uh, so I was like really turned on to that Tiger Force psych art, but the price was a bit too much. And but the price that he was offering for the Teddy Viper was actually really good. I think it was like two fifty odd or something like that. So I got it. But the card was loose. I mean, it was everything was intact, sort of. It didn't have the backpack. It was missing the backpack. So I negotiated it down a little bit. So I actually got my Teddy Viper on card, essentially. And is it a toy that I'm like dying to get? No. Is it a toy that I'm happy I have? Yes. Why? Because he looks so cool in a pterodrome. That's the thing. Like, if you don't have a pterodrome, I don't see the excitement about wanting to own a Teddy Viper. But as soon as you have one, it makes sense. It puts him high on your priority list, as far as I'm concerned. And he's got a really ugly face. But other than that... Well, it's got some nice sculpting to it. I mean, yeah, it's Mm. got some interesting jowls. I I wouldn't say it's the most attractive uh, expression. But it's nice. Yeah. The mouth of Cobra. Oftentimes, Cobra's mouth at that period in history was completely hidden. Mm. I guess these guys are Cobra's mouthpiece. So Mm -hmm. the mouth is an important kind of jewel in the crown, as it were. In a sea of balaclavered baddies or ski mask wearing snow serpents or eels, crimson guardsmen. I think... uh... 
whatever the next iteration, either comic or movie, whatnot, if you do the Televiper right, the show will hit for years. Like, the, the Televiper is just a few paint accents short of being, like, a sought-after figure. Like, if you put, like, Cobra backwards on his visor, just a paint app, um, <laughs> if you add, like... Oh, yeah, if you added uh, knee pads, give them some scuffed-up knee pads because the cool thing about Cobra is you know they're bad, but they mark it so well. Like, if Cobra Commander's talking, Televiper's got to slide in, perfect framing, pointing the camera gun, and, like, they're probably going through their playlist. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, that's how I see it anyway. That'd be pretty dope. You got to have Televipers around, around the Cobra royalty because they got to be seen, you know? Yeah. Look, functionally, they, they have to exist. Like, Cobra needs an RTO, and Televiper was it. And he mm. uses that exceptional Cobra Blue, which we featured in our Cobra Convergence video. But mm. we mm, erroneously had Televiper absent from that, because guess what? We didn't have Televiper back then. Damn! No, only Paul has him, unfortunately. <sighs> Purple Everybody and Blue. Else. Those are Hawkeye's mm. colors, man. Mm. But what is cool <laughs> about them is... It sort of sets up the fact that, like, purple, at least for Cobra, brings in the more technical specialities. Mm. You know, Techno Vipers, some purple. years after this, rock the purple. Then you got guys like Toxo Vipers, also in purple, denoting the fact that these are kind of troopers that step outside of the normal environments. And, you know, yeah, they're special. In that case, yeah. or hazardous. Um, just like Hydra Vipers, also kind of freaks. It's like mm. purple denotes the more circus freakish, or, or I don't know, the, the more or, dangerous. Or, or over-specialized, yeah. It's like, yeah, um, Cobra personnel. They're like the science officers. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Televiper set up that, you know, that color um, duality, I guess. I don't know, I like the head sculpts. They do obviously seem like they're missing something. And that's pretty much why I skipped over them when I saw them, you know, back in the day in the supermarkets. I was like... Eh, boring and I couldn't figure out what his weapon did was it in <laughs> fact a weapon actually it wasn't so I kind of was on the money there but then I go and do a thing like pick up mainframe of all figures like he didn't come with a weapon I guess it just shows my bias towards the good guys Cooch it was deep seated even back then but to be he fair, didn't understand the framing of media back then <laughs> <laughs> to be fair though the televipers have got very big heads though like, I've always found mm. that to be a small detractor from the, for that figure. Somewhat explained by the fact that the helmet builds the bulk out. Yeah. Like, if you can imagine his head ending at where the helmet begins, you know, that his head doesn't actually recede into those sides. Yeah, I'm comparing his jawline to, say, steamrollers. They're about the same width. <laughs> and, and something odd about them just a bit of well it's sort of loose trivia but they were they're quite rare in the modern era uh, side of things i know when i was trying to get one the best way for me to get one was to get the cobra flight pod and ram set uh which mm -hmm. had a televiper as the vehicle driver but he was never released as a single carded toy and he was all or single carded figure should i say and he was never like yeah, they never did, like, anything with them. And I always found that that's, like, super irritating because I think Hasbro could have made a great five-pack or four-pack of them 
and and included things like uh, computer monitors and some like cool computer chairs, some diorama type stuff. Because people wouldn't have cared to buy them for the televipers. They would have cared to buy it for the diorama pieces. And the televipers would have been a nice bonus. And then once they actually had it, they would have been like, wow, actually, no, these marry really well together. You can't really have one without the other. And that's kind of unfortunate. And uh, and I also think that Hasbro also missed out on a great opportunity and that they could have done like a three-pack of televipers that have alert written backwards on the helmet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And stuff like that. I think Are that you suggesting so that cool. they mishandled their brand? I no, am... Don't go there. Don't go there. We're, we're, we're a perfect streak. <laughs> I'm insisting that they didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, that's like I think that was a a missed opportunity. So, Steve, do you feel better now that you have a Tele Viper? Do you feel a yearning for a Terradrome now? <laughs> well, I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it, Paul. But yes, they they would make a great deal of sense in the Terradrome. I'm trying to think where he would find his uh, himself. I think. They look good enough to be out in the field, man. Honestly, give this guy a rifle and put him with a Viper squad. Yeah, I think I I think um the best way to look at it is like the third rock from the sun approach. They have an, if you have an extra seat on a vehicle, fill it up with a tele viper because you need him. He's combo. So it's just yeah, it adds a nice variation and of course he doesn't break up the color scheme. Mm. You know, vipers are denoted by their red accents, tele vipers by the purple. They're sort of more low key that way. You know, more blendy blendy. <laughs> <laughs> the final figure for consideration this evening, gentlemen, or morning. <laughs> Sorry, Cooge. Hell, what am I talking about? It's morning where I am too. But the final figure we're going to talk about is perhaps the one with the biggest unlocked potential for me and one that i'm curious to know how you guys interpret and and place in your kind of joe mythology and it's quick kick mm -hmm. now unlike the telly viper if i had ever seen quick kick as a child i would have snatched him up with no second thoughts and he probably would have been my key personnel the reason I know this is because I bought the core equivalent of Quick Kick the second I saw him. What's his name? Ranjitsu or something. Dragon Han. Oh, there we go. Oof. Buddy. I, as a child, as sort of four or five-year-old, martial arts characters were totally my jam. Oh, yeah. And Quick Kick... Does it perhaps better than anyone else? So tastefully done. Bare feet notwithstanding. <laughs> <laughs> Conditioning, man. <laughs> yeah. Kucho, what say you on the topic of Quick Kick? Does he excite you at all? Well, this is a... Was he just uh, a Bruce Lee hack? No, you gave me one of those windmill blindsiders. So I think if I'm... I don't think about Quick Kick often. There's two ways to take him, I think, as a fan. Either... The Sunbow and then the the movie, um, which he has portrayed as kind of a he's got no shirt on in the Arctic, so that that's a weird introduction. I think if you're on the comic side, the cover where his neck is like super long against Storm Shadow, I think that's the wake up call for him there. He didn't make sense to me in my play pattern. Uh, as an adult, I enjoy the design of him. Yeah, I I always like a good nunchuck, uh, but uh. 
I don't know. What are you thinking? Well, <laughs> I love Quick Kick. Like, he's no great. shit. No <laughs> shit. I mean, anybody who was following our Instagram uh, during JoeCon 2018 will know that um, I have quite a love for this figure. I mean, uh, I took him with me everywhere, and he was just so cool to to take photos with. And I just I just enjoyed his sort of uh, Street Fighter Ryu kind of uh, vagabond warrior, you know, looking around for his next challenge, his next photo op. But um, and and also with the modern era figure, I got that very cool um, Toys R Us exclusive of him. Hmm. Um, that is great because he he's got like he's got some cool accessories and he's a really really great sculpt as far as I'm concerned. Um, so and and he's a little and slightly updated from the normal 25th anniversary version. So like yeah, it's always been a toy that I've tried to get my hands on. But how I would characterize him, how I would play him, or how I like to play him in the GI Joe world. So he's not a running on the battlefield kind of guy. I like to use him as the sort of um, hand-to-hand combat instructor. Like he's the guy that uh, helps the Joes improve their sort of, you know, their 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 martial arts game. You know, and and by that I mean like he creates a dedicated space for the Joes to come and train a martial arts, um, not necessarily for combat's sake, but also but also as a coming to him to train so that they can unwind and de-stress, you know, a little bit. And uh, maybe even do some Tai Chi with him, that kind of thing. You know, it's not necessarily like everything he does is to teach the Joes how to, like, kill Cobras better. Because, honestly, the Joes have got a lot of bullets and a lot of knives. You know, there's only so much martial arts they need. But the thing is, like, but martial arts is very good for the mind. It's very good for your body. And some would say it's very good spiritually. And um, I believe he, he provides that aspect to it. And... If, you know, the situation arises, I do like to play him into the dragon style as well. So he's like chosen, you know, like G.I. Joe goes, hey, listen, you know, there's like a super evil drug lord that we think is connected to Cobra. And he's having a fighting tournament on an island of Kowloon Bay. You know, we need a man Dude, in there. And you're the I man. was on the border of Hong Kong and China just yesterday. Oh. And in my mind, the theme tune from Enter the Dragon was throbbing away. <laughs> yes. Jeez, dude. <laughs> There's our playouts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, uh, I, I take your point, and he definitely does, in, in, in his design, steer away from frontline use. Mm. But then you read his file card, and you're like, this guy's made out to be the baddest badass of all. It is only with some enormous irony that he was released the same year as the most uh, revered version of Snake Eyes. Mm. Because it seems like there's a mad overlap. Like, he's silent weapons, sure. Quick kick, I mean. Martial Mm. arts, sure. Um, Has a rather unconventional backstory for a G.I. Joe. I mean, there's no talk of formal military training, mm. um, and yet he's a Joe. But then there's this little fact that really jumps out at me, and that he's an expert with all NATO and Warsaw Pact small arms. Was that just useless hyperbole? <laughs> By the way. Yeah, was that just like, uh, you know, this guy could do no wrong talk? You know, like... Was that just inserted to ensure in the minds of of the consumer, in the minds of a child, 
that this guy might look all ninjaed up and cool, but he can also handle a gun, so he, he'll never be relegated. Like, you can always include him on your missions. He'll never be that a, makes sense. a unicorn. Um, like, do you think there's any credit behind his, his training being so exhaustive? In the the seventies was like the big kung fu, specifically kung fu and martial arts boom in movies and stuff in America, and onwards. I mean martial arts. I mean there had been martial arts practice in America before the seventies, but I mean Bruce Lee became a thing. It became a household thing. There were comics like Iron Fist and whatever's coming out, um, and all of that stuff. So there's a, lot, a whole bunch of like kung fu ness, uh, if I can put it a, that that way. And then and then there was also a lot of like. You know, there there were some serious eyes on on the Chinese population, or should I say, to be more fair, like the Asian population, um, in America and things like that. So I think, and and those eyes weren't always good. People weren't always looking at the Chinese or the Asian population as a good thing in America, back then in the 70s and like early 80s. Um, and I think maybe Quick Kick was sort of designed as a well. Firstly, he's he's relatable in the sense that he's kind of like Bruce Lee. Um, secondly. He's a Joe, so he's all about like America. You know, he's um, you know, he's got that American side to him, and I think like in a weird way, I think he was designed to sort of not desensitize, but just sort of get people to get over this sort of like fear of Asians and Asian culture in, in the states. Like, I'm not saying it was like people running around going, "Oh my God, the the Chinese are coming" or anything like that, but there was a dis a, a definitive fear, and I know that we've also in South Africa had that in small parts as well. I think that's why he was almost overqualified. Uh, let me ask this question. Since that, you guys think, did play with him, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. did, was he more like fortune cookie wisdom on the battlefield or more like movie quips? Oh, man. Yeah. He was always just sn silently sneaking around, like, killing motherfuckers. Mm. And, and I'm speaking about his, his core analog because, sadly, I never saw Quick Kick available. Yeah. Place. Yeah, dude. I, uh, I mean, Sunbow definitely did a lot to characterize him in my eyes as a kid, um, because I mean, I saw him on Sunbow long before I had him as a toy. Long, long. Like I was always like, it'll be so cool to have a quick kick. Um, so I also didn't really get much play out of him. But let's put it this way: I substitute everything that Quick Kick would do was substituted by Ryu from Street Fighter when um, when I was playing. So he was like also like that kind of training. Well, back then, it wasn't always a training kind of character. He was just like this badass, like he could beat anybody up with his fists and, you know, all kinds of crazy shit like that. And um, well, throw out a couple of Hadoukens and, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I don't think people were afraid of Asians. I mean, Larry Hama was killing it at this stage. Um, you know, people like uh, that one guy that's still loud on social media from Star Trek, you know, they were about. Uh, George Takei. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. George Takei, George Takei, and um, Larry Hammer have both um, shared certain sentiments about uh, how America treated Asians when they were growing up and in sure. their earlier careers. And Larry Hammer has also cited the creator of Iron Fist being quite a bigot as well, um, and being bigoted hey. towards Chinese. Yeah. So just saying. So you know, like it's it's interesting. Like you know, there was that. I know here in South Africa. Um, there's lots of weird superstitions about, you know, Chinese people and stuff like that, you know, because people are just stupid. I mean, I hear it on a daily basis. I get a dad coming through to the Kung Fu school and he gets his kids to come try Kung Fu, for example. And he goes, you know, I really wish I could have done this when I was younger because I remember your school has been around for a very long time. 
and he was like a kid and he was like his parents wouldn't allow allow him to because they said it was devil worship you know yes ladies and gentlemen that old this is real good stuff yeah but like like that's the thing you know because it was very foreign you know and therefore it must you know there must be devil worship or some shit like that so i'll have to ponder yeah. that i haven't really looked at it through that lens yeah so i think i think quick kick was definitely designed to sort of win favor you know just to sort of get people to equalize also remember that in the 80s companies like toyota and stuff were starting to come into america you know and the honda and things like that and japanese products were coming into so i wouldn't be surprised if hasbro because hasbro had good relationships with japan i mean they were making the transformers figures and stuff like that so i'm sure that they were trying to sort of garner a little bit of you know not sympathy but just a bit of education actually well, isn't it a bit root one that they went with martial artist as one of their, you know, initial uh, Asian characters? Right. It's like exactly. the year before we got Storm Shadow, now we got Quick Kick. It's like uh, if you're from the East, guess what? You're good with your hands. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and wasn't that? I mean, I I would say like in a weird way. Wouldn't you say say like eighty eight? No, eighty nines Storm Shadow. Is 88, you were right. 88, yeah. yeah. Is a sort of a reaction to things like American Ninja. Yeah, of course. Dollar a, a ninja character up in white of all things, and it's definitely yeah. going to make a statement. And you're going to be thrown in, you know, in a group with the a rather exclusive group with anyone else who's who's rocked white. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll we'll never know until we speak to the people who might. It is best hoodie game. Then again. It's it's lost in the midst of time for most people. I mean, who who can honestly remember what they were thinking 30 years ago? Yeah, that is true. These stories get better every time they tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, I think my stories have uh, have have been exhausted. As am I. I see my wife sleeping on the hotel bed beside me, and it's time to shut the hell up, Stephen, and join her. Shall we just close it cold and not mess up this uh, nearly perfect game? Are you feeling that? Well, there was talk of uh, ankle pouches. Mm, nicely done. Yeah, let's but... do just a little bit of community. Rob Liefeld. Basically, the last 48 hours has come out that he's going to do either a mini series or a one-shot called Dead Game uh, with starring Snake Eyes. So it's a G.I. Joe comic. It's definitely... The biggest shaker name that's been on Joe for a while. So there was buzz. Uh, I, I do bump those tweets. Uh, anyway, do you guys, let's just keep it tight because I think everybody's kind of decompressing from us just breathing fire for a couple hours. Uh, no, but he's been making noise in the game for a long time. Uh, I know that people feel ways about his art. Do you guys have any just real cursory kind of remarks? I loved it at the time. Yeah, the man loves him some pockets there. <laughs> Pouches at all. I, I adored that art at the time. I adored X-Force. Mm, I, I did too. Cable, Deadpool, beautiful. Boomer. Oh, what's it? Warpath. Richter. Richter. Shatterstar. Domino. Shatterstar. Yeah, do- Domino is so Oof. cool. That's, that's one good well, luck, lady. So, he's a legend in my books, regardless of uh, how odd his art might be perceived nowadays. I was kind of coming up in the era of Liefeld as a superstar artist. So I guess that credits goes a long way. 
he might have a very in, uh, unusual grasp of anatomy and stuff like that. But remember, he's been he's penciled tons of comic books, and he's had tons of editors, and he's had tons of publishers, and there have been some form of there has been some form of, form of art director, and whatever bullpen he worked in. So don't just blame Rob Liefeld for his art. There are other people oh, no. that approve that. Oh no, let's not trip so on that. that the guy's there. a made man. Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't have to defend his merit. Um, I'll say this, that I, I am aware of his tweets. I'm probably some of the deepest in the game when it comes to comic narratives right now. And people break different ways on how he conducts himself. I'll say this. He's a bold mind, and he's his hustle game has been tight for, like, 20, 30 years. So, like, that's why you go pick up this book if we see it. Um, I tip my cap to IDW. This is definitely – it creates some waves. It creates some conversation. Um, I'm on it. Uh I, I'm I'm into it, but let's just uh, yeah. Hopefully we'll be able to chat him up. I think, but uh, yeah, he does pouches. Snake Eyes has four ankle pouches, and we are missing one of our scoops, but uh, we'll save his pouch for later. Uh, what do what do you guys see in Snake Eyes' ankle pouches when Liefeld draws them? Uh, Steven, let's go with you first. It's a two by two. It's a two by two, right? Yeah, yeah, two on each each uh, ankle well yeah sorry two on each foot so four in total very life felt actually that uh, snake eyes v2 design not only has mm. it got pouches it's got he's got pouches on his his biceps as well got a bandolier bandolier i challenge you to show us what's in every pouch before that comic's over that's my challenge and also he's wearing like really tight pants there's nothing like baggy or loose on those pants just like a life felt artwork will kind of taper the legs to these ridiculous little points little pixie legs these little pixie feet that snake eyes doesn't wear boots he's got little pixie shoes jeez can you tell i'm not a v2 fan <laughs> oh dear unpopular opinions burn him again yeah exactly enough about Van Dam. i'm gonna actually go with kim's answer I'm going to go with Kim's answer because it's a damn good one. She was like, if you're wearing it on your ankles, it can't weigh too much. And it yeah. also needs to be pretty hardy stuff. And it, it can't be bulky stuff. You know, those are like, like, I don't know, the size of maybe two matchboxes side by side. So she would put drugs in there, medical supplies. Mm. Um, most specifically, ampules of morphine. Mm. morphine is hella useful on a battlefield mm -hmm. yeah um of course they're not necessarily that durable because they're typically in glass ampules but maybe snakes has a sci-fi way around that plastic yeah, like or something a... single-use plastic <laughs> oh. bubble wrap no like a little metal like a little metal case that um you can put two ampules in and close it up and it's the size of a matchbox yeah that makes total sense so nice one dr kim thanks for me i would say about a thumb-sized uh amount of semtex c4 um ironically Perfect to blow that lock a plastic detonating cap um and then i would say about like yeah i'd say about 10 feet of like detonation cord or or detonating line a detonation detonating line like thin detonating line yeah that would actually be it like that that's all i i think my snake eyes would carry because the way I see it is if, if anything ever goes wrong, that's his like emergency. If things go wrong and he needs to hide out somewhere 
and he needs to like sort of enclose himself somewhere or he needs to get out of somewhere, then at least he's got, you know, the means to do so. You know, he's got some kind of explosive means to do so. You know, it, it's funny, like in his line of work, I'm pretty sure he can find a use. For, uh, I'm pretty sure he runs into situations where he's like, damn it, I wish I packed my Semtex this morning, you know, kind of thing. Like, yeah, I don't know. Just, yeah. And it's by the ankles, you know, he could be tied up and just reach to his like ankles and pull that out there. And, you know, even using the detonating cap, somehow maybe he could use it to burn ropes or to shatter the handcuffs or something. I don't know. You know, this. You know, it's snake eyes. You'll find a way to use that stuff. Maybe you'll make I can't believe I'm the only one that went nostalgic on this. I think in my little pouch, I'm going to have some fun dip. Because I feel like <laughs> back in the day, that stuff you... fueled so many night, late night play sessions with Joe's. Like, you guys yeah. had fun dip over there, didn't you? Yeah, I was going to ask you. You're going to have the red stuff in the left or the right pouch, and then the orange stuff in the left or the right pouch. I mean, That's you're going to have to keep this. Yeah. That's a great and question. No, right? wait, no BS. Put the swizzle stick? <laughs> no BS. Me and my friends would pour all of it together in like a coffee mug. It was, uh, yeah. Um, but no, I, th I think I'd go with Fun Dip because that is a memorable candy. It was kind of like the sugar stick was its own thing, you know? Yeah, it had like a lemony flavor kind of thing to it. Yeah. I don't know. I remember it always having a little bit of a lemony zing to it. But it sounds like you guys had a fun dip orgy, so. It was. It made for some crazy nights with Joe's, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you, Steven, are you a fun dip, man? Can't say it was a product that uh, was on my radar, brother. So you're on your own. Ooh. Yeah, sorry. I can remember, like, Lucky Packets that had sherbet at the bottom, and you'd dip your sucker in it, but that ain't the same thing. It was. Thing. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. Speaking of wasteful oh. packaging, but yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, just like Williams in Enter the Dragon, I think, Mr. Han, suddenly I wish to leave your <laughs> island. <laughs> cool, man. Really Guys, this was a great chat. Love you, boys. Yeah. We talked a lot about crazy stuff. I would have loved to have gone more specific. I'm sorry I didn't. But hey, that's what it is. That's what G.I. Joe book is. Toys, toys. I feel complete. I have an amazing partner in crime to explore China with and incredible toys. I don't need to find anything on my trip. I've got everything I need right here. <laughs> Until you Damn. see them. You just have to see the right thing. <laughs> you have offended my family, and you have offended the Shaolin Temple. Wah! Later, awesome. dudes. Later, dudes.